Have you ever been to a Jewish Seder, S-E-D-E-R? That's the, the Passover meal that is so rich in symbolism and spiritual meaning. It is central to the Jewish celebration of the Passover and their escape from slavery through the Exodus. In recent years, many evangelical Christian churches have made it an important part of their Easter celebration every few years. Our very dear friend Trevor Rubenstein has led us through this celebration at least twice, and it has been a powerful experience for us. But, but why do Christians celebrate the Passover in this way? Well, for at, at least two basic reasons. First is, in order to provide Gentile Christians an understanding of the importance of the Exodus, the God-ordained escape from centuries of slavery in Egypt, which included many miracles and led to the giving of the law of Moses out Mount Sinai and the establishing of Israel as a nation. When a celebration of the Passover happens, the celebration is of escape, release from slavery. The rather sad slaughtering of the Passover lamb, which God had told them to bring into their household a few days before this meal. And in that way, that, that lamb became kind of a pet. So when they killed it, it was, it was a sad thing, but it was something that God had commanded them to do, among, among a number of other things, uh, at that particular meal. But after that, they, they were able to escape. They were able to take uh, a great deal of wealth from the Egyptians who gave it to them freely. Uh, they got to the Red Sea and miraculously the Lord led them across the Red Sea and then on to Mount Sinai where Yahweh gave them the law of Moses, which has incredible importance in Scripture. The second reason, I believe, why Christians celebrate the Passover is because the Seder meal itself involves great prophetic symbolism of literally every item of the meal, every tradition, the Passover lamb, and even the standard question asked by the youngest child of the father of the family, who responds with a, a telling of the Passover story so that it continues from generation to generation. In fact, that is still a part of Jewish life all around the world today. You see, the meal itself and every item in it 
is a prophecy of the coming Messiah, the Lamb of God. And for most Gentiles in the church, both then and now, these are things that are not really familiar to us. Now, it has been correctly said that Matthew's gospel was written by a Jew for Jews about the greatest Jew. And that is certainly true. But Matthew's gospel has another very important purpose as well. The final version, as we discussed last week, you may recall that much, much earlier, Matthew uh, collected the sayings, the, right, uh, the teachings of Jesus and uh, another, um, another publication, if you will, that became widespread around the church but it was, it was a, a short version. The final version, as we discussed again last week, was written after the Gospels of Mark and Luke. So the basics of the Gospel story and the life, ministry, crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus Christ were well, were well known in the early church, uh, along with, of course, the the blessing of the availability of salvation. And you see, by that time, by the time Mark and Luke and other writings were there, despite several decades when the church was almost entirely made up of Jews, through great evangelization by the apostles, and we read especially of Paul, the church had spread throughout the Roman Empire. And it was now primarily Gentile. But most Gentile Christians knew very little about Judaism and the rich Judaic heritage that is the foundation of Christianity. It's really a sad thing that for well over a thousand years, rather than the church appreciating its foundation, Instead, the church turned against the Jews, persecuted them, called them Christ killers, and refused to acknowledge the importance of the Jewish writings, what we call the Old Testament. Now, in the early church, since the focus was on the salvation message, the, the, the person and teachings of Jesus and the new way of life under the new covenant of Christ. Because of that, very little was known of Jewish history and culture, the sin cycle, the, the great heroes of the faith, or, or the prophets. But Matthew's gospel filled that knowledge gap to a great extent so instead of Christians just bringing another new religion to the people of the world, you may recall when, when Paul went to, the, went to Athens and he was up on Mars Hill where people collected, and as they said, they went up there to, to hear new things, to hear about new religions and all of that. You know, they pretty much just discounted Paul 
as somebody bringing another new religion. But as this was brought to the world, Christians weren't just sharing a new thing. They were sharing a new, proven, and profound hope for all mankind. But it was also based on the only religion ever known that was founded by the one and only almighty, eternal, living, and true God and creator. So just as the Seder meal demonstrations include visual explanations of the prophetic symbolism for Gentile believers today, hopefully prompting us to investigate the Old Testament much further and deeper. So the Gospel of Matthew, with its very many references to the Old Testament and fulfilled prophecies as illustrations in the life of Christ, as that gave Gentile believers in the early church a greater understanding and appreciation of the Jewish culture that the Jewish peoples throughout Roman Empire, they lived in day to day. And that, of course, gave these Christians a much stronger basis for evangelism. Rather than simply speaking to people of, of this uh, way of salvation, of being forgiven for their sins and living forever, as terrific, as great as that is, they didn't really have the, the background of knowledge of the Old Testament to show the, the depth of what they were saying. Now, as we study through Matthew, we will see how very much he draws specifically and persuasively from the Old Testament text in presenting Jesus Christ as the long-awaited Messiah. But now I think it's time to go into the text where we left off last week after examining the genealogy of Jesus in, in quite a bit of detail. And what a coincidence that we're to read the shorter gospel account of the birth of our Lord right at this time of year. And keep in mind, uh, Matthew just gave this short account because the much longer and deeper account given in Luke was already well known throughout the church. So we're going to begin reading in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, and betrothal then was legally almost marriage. Before they came together, that means before they had sexual intimacy, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now, you need to put yourself in that context of that time. Mary, 
who was thought to be a virgin was found to be pregnant. And that could only mean that she'd committed adultery. And adultery was punishable by death, by stoning. So it was a very serious thing. But then we read in verse 19, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and that's an official designation um, that the community had placed upon him, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example was minded to put her away secretly. Now, that could have been have her stoned and killed in secret. But in this context, it was more that he was, was thinking about taking her away someplace where nobody knew her, where she could carry and bear that child. And in that way, he would be very merciful and gracious to her. And he was a very good man. Remember, God chose him to be the stepfather of, Je of, of Jesus. Verse 20, But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, he was of the line of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord. Here we go. Here's Matthew. Spoken by the Lord through the prophet. That would be Isaiah saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her, that means did not touch her physically, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, looking at that last verse 25, it says he did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son. It doesn't mean that he never touched her sexually. In fact, the Bible is evidence of the contrary. They had a number of other children, including James and Judas, Simon, and at least two daughters. So once Jesus was born and Mary had healed, Joseph and Mary had a normal marital sexual relationship. In fact, if they had not, it could have been grounds for their marriage to be annulled. So the, the tradition, spoken mostly through the Catholic Church, 
that Mary was a perpetual virgin is just flat out wrong. And she wasn't, and nor is she to be worshipped as they do today. So we have this very short version of a story that, for the most part, was already known. But I believe that Matthew felt it necessary to bring in the beginning of the story of Jesus' birth, specifically so that he could begin to tie it, to tie Jesus' life to the fulfillment of prophecy. And this is the first one that he does. Now, we're going to stop at this point. It's a very short message, I know. But I wanted to bring to your mind the importance of the Gospel of Matthew to the early church and, and also for us today. As you and I study Matthew, we're going to see so many allusions to and references to and quotations from the Old Testament that the, the connection, the tie-in, in fact, the dependence of so much of the New Testament upon the Old will become very, very evident. The early church needed to know these things in order to effectively evangelize. And that's no less true for us today. We need to know these connections. And when people go around saying that they don't bother with the Old Testament, they're only concerned with the New Testament because that's where you find Jesus, they are so wrong. Because you'll find Jesus, as we've discussed before, you'll find Jesus, not by the name Jesus, but by other names. We find him throughout the Old Testament. He's often the angel of the Lord. He's the Lord, as he spoke to Abraham. He's the, the captain of the Lord's army, as we saw in the book of Joshua. Um, he's the, the one dancing with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire where Nebuchadnezzar looked in and saw four people dancing in the fire. One that looked like the Son of Man, and that was Christ. So we need to understand that eternal God, Jesus the Son, he wasn't known as Jesus until he was born into humanity. But as the Son, as Yahweh God, he has always existed. He has never not existed. It's only with his conception in the womb of Mary when he entered humanity that he gained this second nature, which, by the way, as the resurrected Lord, he still has today. He still has the characteristics of humanity, resurrected humanity for sure, 
but it's important that we know that uh, where he comes from in the Old Testament. So I'm very thankful that the Lord has given us this. I'm thankful that Matthew, I'm sure led by the Lord, knew that he needed to add to the, the short uh, history that he had written and bring about the importance of the Old Testament for the church to better understand, appreciate, and, and use in bringing the good news of the Savior to the world. And Heavenly Father, we do, we do thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, for Matthew being obedient to you as you called him to do this. And we thank you, Lord, for his ability, his ability, Lord, to tie so much of what he'd experienced as one of Jesus' apostles, to tie that to the Jesus, the Christ, who had always existed, to make those connections. They're so precious. And Father, I pray that as we move forward in our study, in Matthew and the months ahead, I pray that you would reveal to us as many of those illusions, as many of those examples, illustrations, fulfilled prophecies, as we can remember, as we can hear from you, as we can find in the pages of your book. We pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.